it gives me great peace to think about the fact that God's calling him here. And I said, you know, I actually agree, not only agree with that, I actually think of it a little differently. I think about how important it is to be able to say that we're trying to walk in the perfect center of God's will. And I think for Harvest Point, the perfect center of God's will is exactly where we're at right now. And that sometimes, you know, sometimes walking in the very center of God's will is not the most comfortable thing, okay? If it was, it'd be so easy to trust Him, we wouldn't need faith, right? But God often calls us into deep places of trust. And I'm telling you guys right now, as you send me forth to a new ministry in the, in the North Atlanta area, God is calling Jonathan here. I was talking to somebody this morning who actually has worshipped with Jonathan at, his, at, his, at the church he's coming from, and, um, and she said, these folks here, they don't actually know what a blessing they've got yet coming in Jonathan Anderson. And that's so very, very true. So pray for Jonathan. Don't forget that. He's, uh, he's like I am right now, packing up a house and and, you know, doing all this stuff, and, and it's just, it's a little stressful, you know, you're stretched thin, you know, you're doing a lot of things. Pray for his family, pray for my family, if you will. Now, I heard a, I heard a uh, funny story about a, a new preacher that came into town, and I'm, I got all ears for new preachers right now, right, that are coming in. And so, a new preacher comes into town, and even before his first Sunday, he thinks the best thing for me to do is actually go out and meet people in the neighborhoods, and not just, you know, expect them all to come. And why don't I just go to knock on doors, and I'll invite them to church this Sunday, tell them my first Sunday, you know, and try to maybe meet some friends. So he does this for a couple of hours, and he's getting close and kind of late in the day. He goes up to this house, you know, and he knocks on the door, and this guy comes to the, to the door who it's very clear he's a pretty rough guy, not the kind of guy you'd normally see in church, you know. Um, you can, he can smell the alcohol from, from his breath. He looks like he's rough, you know, and, and he doesn't even hardly know what to say to this guy. So he, he shakes his, he reaches out his hand, shakes his hand, says, hey, I'm the new preacher in town. I just want to invite you to my church. The guy kind of looked at him sideways, you know, like, who are you and why are you on my front steps, you know? And so the preacher just thought, I may never see this guy again. He may never, I'm just going to throw it out there. And so he decided that he'd do that. He said, he just boldly said, he said, are you a Christian? And the guy said, no, I ain't a Christian. I'm a Johnson. And, uh, and the preacher said, no, you misunderstand me. He said, what I really mean is, are you lost? And the guy stepped out his door, looked around, and then looked on his Said, I've been living here for 40 years. Of course I ain't lost. You stand on my porch, you know? He said, I'm, I think you're really misunderstanding me. He said, what I mean is, are you ready for judgment day? And the guy looked at him and said, well, when is that? You know, and he said, well, it could be today or tomorrow. It could be next month. He said, oh, Lord, preacher, don't tell my wife. She'll want to go to every one of those. <laughs> Oh, new preacher joke. Forgive me, all right. Hey, we're in a series called, What If I Only Had One Last Sermon to Preach? What would be my one last sermon? And I've told you from the get-go here, uh, I'm, the, I'm your lead pastor. I'm flat cheating on this one, okay? If you only have one sermon to preach, you ought only be able to, but I'm turning it into a series, all right? We're on week three of a series called, If I Only Had One Sermon to Preach. And here's my hope. My hope in this series is just to share some things as your founding pastor that are close to my heart and that I, I just kind of want to speak over you as the body of Christ. I want to turn to God's Word. These, are, these to me are like the most important things that, that I could possibly share. And you know, it occurs to me as I share these messages, if I only had one sermon to preach, Jesus was right here, you know. Jesus knew in his last few days of his ministry, he only had a little bit of time left to pour into the disciples that were there. And so sometimes you ought to go just read to some of Jesus' final words to the disciples because they are some of the most important words. They're the heart of what the kingdom 
is all about. Well, today I want to talk to you about, you know, I've, I've, been, I've titled this sermon, God's Favorite Word. Here's the third in the series of what I call big things that I want to talk to you about. Now, I was in seminary, um, and I was actually at Emory University uh, when I first had somebody ask me what God's favorite word was. And I don't know if anybody's ever asked you that kind of thing before. Uh, across the journey of my education, I had some people say some things that just stuck in my mind. You know, you probably had a teacher say something that stuck in your mind one time. I would have a professor stand up and one of them, if any, I've never written this book, here'd be a great book to write, and they would say a great idea for a book, you know. And, and, and there were some moments like that. Well, one time a professor said, what's God's favorite word? Now, he did not suggest what God's favorite word is, like I might do today. But, it, but what he did was he got me to thinking about what God's favorite word was. And I thought, well, that's, that's kind of weird. And I started, by the way, what's your favorite word? Your personal favorite word, you know? Have you ever thought about it before? What's your favorite word? Chocolate. No, I mean, well, no, really, what would be your favorite, favorite word? Word. Well, that's what I want you to think about with me. What would be God's favorite word? If you got your Bible, by the way, today, look in your outline. There's no fill in the blanks. There's no, no things that you got to, I might ask you to circle some words. You might want to have your pen ready, but we're just going to read some scriptures uh, from the Bible. And I want to start in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. That's a very famous passage of scripture, John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And before we read all this, let me just tell you, let me remind you who this guy is. John is the best friend of Jesus. John is the one who had spent the most time with Jesus. And John felt called after the resurrection of Jesus to write his own account of the life of Jesus. Now, scholars will tell you that they've studied Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and that John had a chance to already read all three of those. And each one of those Gospels kind of told the story in much the same way. Their account starts with there was this girl named Mary, and she had a baby, and, and then they presented him to the temple. And it tells the story kind of chronologically of Jesus. And John says, you know what? I want to tell the story of Jesus a little differently. And so he goes way back before there was ever a Mary, and he starts off with this. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Can I just pause right there for a minute? Has it ever occurred to you how strange that would sound to somebody that, that never had really picked up the Bible before and they read the gospel, uh, the first chapter? In the beginning was the Word. I mean, like there was a Word out there just in space. Have you ever thought about how weird that sounds, you know? By the way, what was the Word? If you, if you haven't been in church forever and if you haven't really ever read this Scripture before, nobody ever talked about who the Word is, you start thinking, what is the Word? And in the beginning was the Word. And then he goes on to say, and the Word was with God. That's kind of weird sounding, isn't it? There's God, and there's a Word. You know, what's the Word? I don't know what the Word is. And I'm telling you, I, 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 what, I, what, what, what is God's favorite Word? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Oh, now it sounds even different. It's even more confusing. And the Word was God. Now, so it's not just God and a word, it's, it's God and the word. What is this all about? Can you help me understand? And then he says, he was with God in the beginning. Now, if you've got your pen, you might want to circle that, that word there. It's a he. Now, all of a sudden, we're getting the idea that maybe it's not just a word that is with God and is God, but it is a, it, it's got a personal pronoun there. It's a he. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So this is, this is in the essence, God. This is who God is. There's, there's, 
John has decided to call it a word. In the Greek, it's the word logos. John picked the word as a descriptor. In him was life. Now, you and I understand this to mean Jesus, right? This is Jesus, the Son of God. In him, he was the word. He was the logos. In him was the the life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is so cool because when John tells his account, he doesn't start with Mary and and a star and wise men. He starts with the very opening words of the book of Genesis, in the beginning, and then he describes Jesus as a logos, as a word that was with God, was God, and he is coming into the world. He's giving us a little different glimpse. He's making us push in to say, what does it mean that Jesus is the word? Then it says this in that next scripture. It says, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. You know, before long, even if you haven't really ever studied this scripture before, you start figuring out he's talking about Jesus. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. By the way, the, the God's favorite word. Have you figured it out yet? What's his favorite word? Oh, I don't know yet. Can we know God's favorite word? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. There it is, right? We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. What is the favorite word of God? Let Let me give you a little secret. I don't know that any of us are ever going to know the favorite word of God, all right? And here's another little secret. Um, the, whatever, God probably doesn't have a favorite word, okay? He's the author of all words, right? I mean, he could say that all words are his favorite words, but here's what I want to press in on you for a minute. Have you ever thought about this idea that John gives us that that God sent us Jesus and He called Him the Word. Has it, ever, has it ever dawned on you that when you pick up the Bible, God is having to communicate to you in a finite, very, very limited capacity that we call language, that we call words? Has it ever, ever occurred to you that, that God is trying to share with you an infinite power and scope of being, an infinite plan and an infinite kingdom, and he's having to do it through like a little toothpaste hole, you know, called language? Has that ever occurred to you? That our understandings of God can be so limited by just the fact that everything that we understand him through is language. It's through words. Has that ever dawned on you? And what a challenge it is for the God of the universe to express to the world his immense and incredible love, but he's got to do it through this invention called language. Has that ever dawned on you, how challenging that is? As I was studying this and thinking about this week, I thought, man, that's why so many times our understandings of God just kind of fall short. There's so much short of how big he is and how great he is 
because so much of what we know about God is based on our minds and based on our language. And God was sharing the great power of His love through the one and only Son. He was sharing it through a little toothpaste tube for many of you called the English language. So by the way, what's God's favorite word? Well, I've already said this. I I don't know that you'll ever know what God's favorite word is in this life. And I would also say a little secret. Maybe God doesn't have a favorite word. But guess what? I'm the preacher today, so I get to at least tell you what I think God's favorite word is. Okay, so I want to do that. I've thought about it. And what I want to suggest to you is, and by the way, your answer doesn't have to be mine. I'm just trying to get you to think, okay? I want to suggest to you that one of God's favorite words is the word one. Today I want to talk to you about how many times the word one, O-N-E, is mentioned in Scripture. Man, I I need to kind of walk away from kind of the pulpit here and say, okay, this is my mind, okay? I can't prove this in Scripture, but here's what I know. When I start looking over and over in the Bible, not only in the Old Testament, the New Testament, did you know that God says one, 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 one all the time? And and for that reason, I've just kind of noted that whether it's in the opening chapters of the book of Genesis or in the very end of Revelation or over in the Scriptures. By the way, I've shared a few Scriptures today with you straight out of the Bible that are about how God talks about oneness and how things are to be one and how they are one. But can I tell you, this could have been a whole book because there are so many more Scriptures. You want a word study? Just go do a word study on the word one. But one more time, can we just put that up there, the final part of that last Scripture? It says, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. You got to get John here. You don't need Stephen. You don't need a preacher, okay? Living 2,000 years, you got to get John. This is a guy who put his arm around Jesus, who ate with Jesus, who lived with Jesus. This is a guy who knew he was God. And when he was trying to tell his God story, he said, in the beginning, he was there. In the beginning was the Word. He didn't even know what to call him. He called him the Word, like the language. He was, that's out of the toothpaste tube. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then he came in his light enveloped us in the darkness had even though they killed him the darkness has not overtaken the light do you see what john's saying and then at the very end i love this last part he says we i'm not speaking third person here i we have seen his glory you get that picture isn't that awesome we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. I'm just going to talk to you about some places that I've seen one, and then at the end of my message, I guess I'll ask you a question about what you think God's favorite word is. Put your thinking caps on, though, with me, all right? Hey, here's a scripture where God talks about one. Read it with me. Um, It says in Mark 12, we actually, I preached from this last week. Do you remember it? Yeah? It's called the Shema. Why don't we all say it out loud together, full voice? Let's read this scripture together. These are the words of Jesus. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. We studied that scripture last week, and, and we, 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 I reminded you that this is called the Shema. In Hebrew language, this is God, the, the people of God reminded themselves of the Shema over and over again. They would recite the Shema Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. And then Jesus said, So the greatest commandments are these. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Remember what I told you last week? He took all these incredible, literally more than a thousand commands in the Old Testament, and he boiled them down to two things. And, and they're, they're in the book of Deuteronomy called the Shema. And everybody listening to him would have known the Shema. And he said, just make sure you get these two things. And one of the reasons I, I mentioned that to you, church, here is because it is, we believe this. We believe that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We believe that. You know, we're not um, universalists where we think that, oh, you know, the Father became the Son, then became the Spirit, you know, and we believe in this thing called Trinity. We believe that the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit are three in one. That's what we believe. We believe in one. But sometimes I think what I want to remind you of here today is that oftentimes we live in a culture that is raising up all kinds of gods all over the place. And Jesus was saying, hear, O Israel, this is your God. The Lord your God is one God. Let me say that a little differently. I read a quote this week that made me sit back and think. I hope it makes you sit back and think. And the quote was simply this. The human heart is a factory of idols. Have you ever thought about how so many times in the Bible people are committing idolatry, they're raising things up above God? And, and God said in the, in the Ten Commandments, you know, right out of the gate, no, 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 out of the gate. No, there is one God. You're to follow me. Lay down all other gods. Lay down all other idols. Bankrupt that idea. And I guess what I want to say to you, church, as I get ready to share these last few thoughts, and I, as I'm talking about one today, can I just tell you my hope for this church and my hope for you is that you will live by the Shema. I mean, I talked about the, the greatest commands last week. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I kind of skipped over the first part of the Shema. And it's so very, very important. Hear, O Israel. Maybe I would change the language for us today. Hear, Harvest Point Faith Family. The Lord your God is one. And it is so easy for us in our individual lives to raise up other idols because the human heart is a factory of idols. So easy. We've got to make sure the main thing stays the main thing, right? Right? Remember I was talking about that? That's the main thing. And so I want to challenge you in this church to always keep Jesus front and center. All right? Don't be vague. Don't be vague about our spirituality. Let's not talk about God ethereally like, oh, and, and any other religion can call Him God. No, no, no. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord our God is one God. And when we talk about Jesus around this place, I, I pray we're not doing it just as adults. I pray we're doing it in the high school and in the middle school and to our children. I pray we are bold about Jesus. Because when you're bold about Jesus, you're tearing down other idols. And you're reminding yourself, here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Right? And John said later, in that, later on, he said, Oh my goodness, we have beheld His glory. He was there. We couldn't see Him or talk to Him or hear Him, but now He has come to live among us. I just want to challenge you as a church to always keep Jesus first and to never be 
vague and never be shy and let Jesus be preached and taught and talked about and loved on and worshiped. May all that we be about be Jesus. You know, I often have this little simple prayer that when I, and you don't even know I probably pray, for, pray this for you, but my hope is when you drive out of this parking lot and you head up Simpson Mill Road or, all, or off this campus, my hope is you won't think about the, the music and in the name of Jesus, not the preaching um, and certainly not the coffee or the donuts. I hope that you're thinking about Jesus as you leave here. That's the greatest hope that I have for us as a church. Keep Jesus front and center. Listen to this scripture where Jesus where the Bible talks about one. Genesis 2.24, way back in the beginning. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Or some scriptures say this, and the two become one flesh. Now, I couldn't put that whole scripture in my outline, but you remember when this happened, right? The very first gift that is given to the man is the gift of a woman. A rib right out of his side, right? And there they are together. And and God, you remember how Adam responds? He, he, he responds, whoa, man. And that's how she got named woman. I'm just kidding. Um, no, he, he, he responds, and he, this is, don't forget this. He receives her as a perfect gift from God. See, God had never, he never had in his mind that God would ever do anything wrong. God's a perfect God. He received that gift as a perfect gift for him. And, and then he said, he said it this way in the scripture, and I didn't put it in there, but he said, wow, this is, this is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. And that's when God said, and his plan was that the two would become one. Part of the reason I think maybe, 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 I don't know, maybe God's favorite word is one is because way back then he was already talking about oneness. It's been on his mind and it's at the core of who he is. He's three in one and then he made two and he he said, "You're you're supposed to be one. I just talk to every mom and dad, every husband and wife in this church. 17 years ago when we started this church, we said one of the things that we were going to try to do in the name of Jesus and to His glory was build successful families. And let me tell you, that doesn't start uh, by just building a great children's ministry. It starts with men and women who understand covenant. They understand love is not a feeling, it's a choice. And they understand that God has not called them to be separate entities or to do like the world often does, just to kind of drift towards isolation but that God's plan looks a lot different. By the way, you know the natural drift is towards isolation, to not be one, right? But God wants a husband and a wife to become one, to be so united at the very center of who they are. They are one. And I think to the, to the nature that this church is ever going to be an effective church at reaching and building successful families, it has got to start with husbands and wives and them understanding the plan for marriage from the very beginning was oneness. Yesterday, my wife and I and our entire family drove over. She, one of her cousins was getting married in Birmingham, Alabama. And it's one of these moments where we've been so excited. Her name is Amy. So excited about Amy getting married because Amy's 36 years old, you know? And, and she's, when's Amy going to get married? You know, when's Amy going to get married? And then Amy's getting married. And it was like, wow, this is exciting. And as Amy and, and Jason stood up there in front of everybody else, and, the, and, and I, got, I got to just sit there. I, didn't, I, I wasn't in the wedding. I wasn't doing the wedding. I just got to sit there and be a part of the witness and the covenant that they were making. The pastor doing their wedding, he reminded them of something that, that I needed to be reminded of and that I wanted to remind you of today. And that is that in the garden, in one of the very first things God ever did in the garden, He took two people and He said, 
I want you to be one. And that pastor said, and ever since that moment, Satan has been oppositionally opposing it, trying to destroy that plan of God and that covenant. You get that? You know what that means for you if you're married? It means you got to fight for oneness. You got to work for oneness. You got to strive for that unity of soul. It's not going to happen naturally because the enemy is going to come against you and your family. He's going to try to separate your marriage. But in the name of Jesus, we understand that God's plan is covenant and He established it way back in the garden. And so we give ourselves to that. And we need to, in the name of Jesus, listen, we're talking to judge over here, right? We got judges and we got leaders, got politicians in our culture who are trying to say, oh, marriage, we can redefine it. We can do different things with it. No, you know what? We can't. Here, here's the deal. You didn't start it. It wasn't your idea, right? You didn't ordain it. You, you, listen, you're just supposed to learn about it and follow through with it. Don't change it, right? God's plan in the garden was covenant that the two would become one, right? Here's another one scripture that I found. Look at this one. It says, be com- this is from Ephesians 4. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. If you've got your pen, maybe you circled that word, one another, one another. Did you know that in the Bible, more than 80 times in the New Testament, one another is used? And it's always a different thing. I mean, this one says, bearing with one another in love. Sometimes you need to bear with one another. Sometimes it says, encourage one another. Sometimes it says, um, be hospitable to one another. It says one another, one another, one another, one another, one another. God's plan was that we would be good to one another. I, that's not even the reason I put that in there, but there's a bonus there. There's another one, right? God's plan is that we would, we would do good to one another. But keep reading. It says, make every effort to keep the unity. You might want to underline that word. Keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And this is one of the reasons I started just noticing that one was everywhere. There is one body and there is one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You see, I think Paul was trying to get us to understand the power of one. Paul was saying one is important. And we've got to understand why it's important to God. There is one body. God's plan was it wouldn't be divided but there'd be one united body. There is one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord. One Lord, not multiple Lords. One faith, not multiple faiths. (laughs) Hey, look at me, Harvest Point, if you will. Isn't it so easy to see ourselves as just a lot of different faiths? Oh, you got your faith journey. I got my faith journey. Yours is different from mine. Hey, get the Scripture here. We have one faith. We believe in Jesus, the Son of God dead and resurrected for us, and that's life for us. We believe in Jesus. There's one faith at the common core of it all. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all and in all and through all. Do you really get that? Well, I don't know that there can be one baptism because, see, I was dunked and they were sprinkled and that really wasn't legit. I don't know about that, you know. And I just want to slap you. Let me tell you, there's one faith, one Lord. When you were baptized, whether it was with you know, a whole bunch of water, a little bit of water, or with a Coca-Cola, it don't matter, okay? There's one baptism, and we've been baptized into his death. 
and resurrected into his life. Do you know how much division is in the church over baptism? It's ridiculous. That's why from the very outset of this church we said, hey, listen, we baptize all different ways. We'll, we'll dunk you, we'll pour you, we'll sprinkle you. We'll... Don't get caught up on baptism. There's one baptism. And whether you did it in a river or a pool in a church, it doesn't really matter. There's one baptism. One Lord. Are you getting this one thing? It's all over the Scriptures. And here's the plan. Paul knew that one was important. And he was probably seeing these divisions all over the place. And he said, no, no, no. God's plan is one. Oh, one more. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 12. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. Don't get caught up in that. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many See, what are we talking about here? I'm reminded when I read this Scripture, not only that we are to be one in this church, that this church is supposed to be a unified church, but I'm reminded that God has Christians all over the world. He's got Christ followers, His children all over the world. And though they might speak different languages, though they may worship different ways, though they may have different needs and different cultures, we are one body. And you know what? You, I can talk about that, but you're really not going to understand that until you see heaven. And you're going to step back and go, that's what that means? Wow. We are one body. I remember when I was in Greece and I went to a church in Greece and, and, and it was, uh, they were, they were totally, you know, icons everywhere. It was felt very, it was a Greek Orthodox church, you know, it felt very high church. Very, it felt very ancient. And I asked God, I said, God, never let me walk into a church and not be free to worship in this place because though I cannot understand their language, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you know what I mean? This scripture is a reminder that not only are we to experience the unity of God in our church, we're supposed to always remember that that church down the street and that church three states over and that church over in that foreign country, we're all one body. We're meant to be unified as brothers and sisters. And I love how Paul used that idea of a body. It's got all different kinds of parts. They look different. They act different. They, a hand, an eye, you know, a foot. But we are all one body, right? Just a couple of more ones, all right? And then I'm going to get to my big question, right? Okay, so a couple more. There, look at 1 Timothy 2.5. There is one God and one mediator between God and humankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people. So, again, let's remember that there's only one way that we can be saved. Listen to your TV and you'll hear there's a thousand different ways to be saved, but let me remind you, Jesus and the Bible, according to Jesus, there's only one way to the Father, it's through Him. And, and, and according to what we just read, there's only one mediator. Did you read that? There's only one mediator between God and humankind. And that's Jesus. So this church has got to always stay focused on the personhood of Jesus because He is the way, the truth, and life. He's the only source of salvation. And it has got to be the heartbeat of what we can... Because guess what? Here's the good news. He's the hope of the world, right? I mean, the world's going terrible. Have you noticed? Right? It's getting worse. Jesus is still the hope of the world. Jesus is still the answer to every problem we have, we have ever faced. 
one last scripture. And again, I, there's so many scriptures in the Bible filled with the word one. Uh, I, I just want to read this one. Just a real quick reminder before we read it. Jesus is praying and he's about to leave the planet. And so in Jesus' final prayer, John 17, if you, if you haven't read in a long time, you should go back and read it. It is a powerhouse of a prayer. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays for himself. He prays for his friends that are closest to him. And then guess what? He prays for you. Jesus prayed for me. He prayed for you. Listen to Jesus' prayer for you. And in the name of Jesus, hear his longing for you. My prayer, as he talked to the Father, my prayer is not for them alone, that's his disciples, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and you've loved them even as you have loved me. I just want to confess to you, I've been a Christ follower for a pretty good long time. I've studied in some pretty good theological schools. Can I just tell you, I don't get that. I don't even know how he prayed that. I mean, does he really expect that the very unity, the very, the very shared spirit between Jesus and his Father, which is perfect, by the way. There's no division between Jesus and his Father. It's, it's perfect unity. Did he ask God, his Father, that that would be our relationship between us? I mean, are you serious? Are you serious? Do you hear the heart of Jesus? Jesus says, I pray that my children would be united in such a way that there would be no division and it would be like me and you, Father, so that the world would know. Isn't that amazing? Let me tell you, if you're, you're new around this place, uh, we have been blessed with some incredible unity in this church from day one. But I don't want to I don't, I don't just pretend that it happened by accident. Before there was a person in this church, one of the main, I, I knew this scripture, and one of the main things I prayed over this church was that God would give us unity. And one of the things I want to tell you about having unity, and I'm talking about the church, but I'm talking about marriages, I'm talking about families, I'm talking about friendships. One of the deals about having unity is, again, Satan doesn't want unity. He overheard probably this prayer and thought, I must destroy their unity. And you have to fight for unity. You have to work for unity. You have to go after unity in your family and in your marriage. It's so important. It's the heart of what Jesus was teaching here. And so my prayer for you, Harvest Point, is that we've only seen the beginning of what it really means to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We've only seen the beginning of what it means to, to move towards His prayer that we would experience that kind of unity, that kind of oneness. So, here's the conclusion of my message, and it's pretty simple. You want to do a word study on one? That'd be a pretty good word study, because there's a lot of scriptures where I haven't had time to read them today about 
where God thinks one or oneness is important. But for this preacher, for me, I think maybe God's favorite word is one. But I don't know. Maybe more importantly, I've caused you to think about what you might determine God's favorite word is. I hope that you'll press in and think about what God's favorite word might be. Final thought. Remember what we read? We read that John said, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only. He was wanting so much for other people to see it. My prayer is that when people come on this campus, people wouldn't see facilities, they wouldn't see, you know, nice just relationships, they wouldn't just have ethereal things that don't go deep. I pray that experience Jesus the one and only. I pray that God would give us marriages that are united the way He planned in the garden. That people understand we don't live by contract, we live by covenant, and it's a lot different. And I pray for oneness in your marriages. Oneness, not isolation. I pray for us as a church that we would be one body, that we would understand what it means to have one faith, one Lord, one baptism, that we've we've drank together of one spirit, and I pray that we would understand that we're not at odds or competition with anybody else here in the area or beyond. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are one together. And I pray that Jesus would always be the heart and soul of who's leading this church. You know, there will be people who will preach from this pulpit. There will be people that you call your pastor. But can I just remind you of something very important? The Bible says that Jesus is the pastor of the church. So why don't we just try to make much of him together? Why don't we try to talk about him as much as we can? Why don't we tell our friends and neighbors about him? And why don't we pray that every time people come onto this campus, when they drive off the campus, they're thinking about Jesus, that his face is on their mind. Recently, I was driving down the road knowing that I was going to share with you what I think God's favorite word is. Whether you agree or not, I don't care. It's my favorite word. What I think God's favorite word is. And I heard this song on the radio that I bet you've heard, and I began to cry because I knew that, man, I think God was calling me to sing this song. And so I just wanted to sing a song that reminds us of how important one is. One voice in the dark A song that lights up the stars One breath that gives life One sovereign in power Who speaks with thunder and fire One Lord, one King There is no other that can compare to you. You are the one alone in greatness. The one who never changes. Jesus, you are the one who rose in power. The one One 
man on a cross and one light of the world one one word there's one way to be saved and one lamb that was slain and one above all there is no other that can compare to you you are the one alone in greatness the one who never changes Jesus you are the one Hey, church, we're going to worship the Lord through our tithes and offerings this morning. So I want to invite you to bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are in our lives and where would we be without you? You are a gracious God, full of compassion, full of truth, and you never give up on us. And yes, we do have hearts that are just factories of idols, but you, Jesus, you are the God of perfect covenant. As I get ready to pray over this offering today, I pray for every marriage. I pray oneness over those marriages. I pray for husbands to love their wives perfectly. And I pray for wives to love and serve their husbands and their families perfectly, Lord. I pray for unity in our church. I pray for unity across the church of Christ all around the world. 
And Lord, I pray that You would help us to follow You wholeheartedly. And I would pray over us today that, that there is one God. There is one God. We have beheld His glory. And we thank You so much, Father, for sending the Son for us. In the next few minutes, as we make much of You, even through reminding ourselves that what we have been given is not our own, it's by Your hand, we pray that You would take our gifts and multiply them beyond our reach to bless the kingdom of God. And Jesus, when you taught us to pray, you said that we should pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on the earth as it is in heaven. So that's what we pray today, Lord Jesus, as we give that more and more and more and more of your kingdom would come on this earth. Do it, Lord, as we sow our gifts towards kingdom gain. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.